Hi there, and welcome to Pod Rocket. I'm your host, Paul, and today we're joined with Ben Holmes. So Ben was on the podcast last February in 2022. Ben, you're the creator of Slinkity.dev, and we were going over Slinkity and the great power it can like help developers tool in their front-end projects. Today, we're, we're going to be talking about a little, something a little bit different, Astro, because you moved on to now you're a software developer over at Astro, a little bit of a change of pace. Excited to get into it, and welcome to the podcast, Ben. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's crazy. It's already been a year. That feels it feels like a decade ago, but also yesterday. So good to catch up. And that podcast that we did together back then, at least on a personal front, really opened up a world for me of like not using React anymore <laughs> and looking over at the, at the Slinkity thing that you made. And, and Astro was kind of like for somebody getting into that world as a noob, getting into like stepping into Astro was a natural next step after understanding what Slinkity did. So it's really cool that you're here now. You're working at Astro. We're going to talk about the new updates. Astro 2 is out. We're, of course, going to get into Astro 2.0. So off the bat, if somebody's coming on to here and they don't know what Astro is in like 30 or 60 seconds, what can you tell them? Yeah. So Astro is a site builder to build content-focused websites. So think marketing, blogs, newsletters, documentation, all the way up to e-commerce. Astro is a really great way to do that. And it's focused especially on making things performant, server rendering as much as possible, and letting you bring all the tools that you want. The interesting thing about Astro is you can bring React, Vue, Svelte, Solid, Lit Element, anything that you want. And we already have built-in tools to let you use your framework of choice in order to build those websites. Framework of choice. That's a big one yeah. that different generators and toolings might have or not, might not have. So cool. It really helps us build websites. It's a new framework. We've had episodes with Fred Scott, the creator of Astro. Um, if, you wanna, if anybody wants to go check those out, we have a few recordings of those. But yeah, so it's a framework. If I'm using React, I can step into using Astro or Next.js. It's similar. We got like page, is, there's a page layout system, right, that I can use and familiar stuff like that. Yeah, we're actually modeled on how Next.js did routing back in Next12. So if you're used to like pages directory, you create little square brackets to have dynamic routes, use get static paths to generate stuff and even turn them into server endpoints if you want to, since we have an SSR feature. All of that is supported and should probably feel pretty familiar if you're coming from that sort of side of things. So did you get reached out to by Astro, or did you sort of maybe think Slinkity was in a good spot, you wanted to move on to like something different? How did that transition in your life come to be? Yeah, it was, it was definitely interesting. Uh, I'll start by saying that Slinkity has reached ceremonial 1.0 and also was kicked into maintenance mode soon after uh, because I just wanted to deliver all the final features for that project and then devote sort of all of my time to Astro here on out because Slinkity is like, it was a great learning experience. It's where I was able to like learn about Veet and all these amazing bundling tools and also about like using your framework of choice to build things. It's a powerful idea. Um, But now it really feels like Astro is taking that idea to the next level, taking it to 11. So sort of sunsetting that moving on to the next thing but is speaking to like how i got started at astro is actually a twitter dm fred messaged me very early on in the project uh before it had been incorporated as the astro technology company just sort of like see you're working on slinkity in the community astro is trying to do something very similar would you like to do that but for money and i thought yeah that makes sense uh so there was of course more like discussion and ceremony than that but eventually decided to join the team full-time. 
And the rest is history. Been here since March through like the 1.0 release and now the 2.0 release. What's one of the things you think Asher does to, so to speak, take it to 11 that got that piqued your interest coming from your Slinkity project? Yeah. Slinkity was definitely like bolting two unnatural tools together where you're trying to like take liquid syntax, which is a really old templating language that's been around for a decade, and trying to stitch that into really modern tools like Reactor View or Svelte. And bridging that gap works, but there's like no type safety. There's no autocomplete. You don't own the template, so you can't like have nice editor tools that autocomplete for you, at least not easily. And Astro sort of took that in a different direction, said, you know what? In order to make this work right, we're going to need our a new template, a new server template, which is the Astro file. And then that way we can own the language tools and give you like that amazing autocomplete where you can just type a component name and it wires up the import for you. You start typing one of the client directives, which is how you opt into shipping JavaScript. And we can give you documentation in line while you're typing it. So you can sort of learn the tool while you're using the tool. And it's only gotten better from there. So it's like developer experience is half the battle and Astro is in the perfect place to make that work. So it just felt like the natural thing to go after. It's the, it's the full package. You said something kind of interesting. You choose whether you ship JavaScript. And this is kind of like what these special new frameworks are delivering to us as developers. Like, are we shipping JavaScript or are we not? And I think where Astro shines from my thousand foot view of not having gotten into it, but, you know, read it and booted up the start project is I can choose if JavaScript goes and when it goes. Could you maybe like, could we start to look into that a little bit? Like what is, what type of power do you have as an Astro developer about choosing where JavaScript goes that you were really enamored with when you stepped into the ecosystem? Yeah, I mean, that was like, I guess the claim to fame or what people are excited about, which was Island's architecture. And it's not as scary as it sounds. It's not like this whole new architecture you have to learn. It's just the idea that instead of building your entire app with JavaScript components top to bottom, you can pick and choose which parts of your app actually need to have a component with client-side JS. So like when you build an app with React, like you whip up a new create React app, you're learning it for the first time, you create that div with an ID of main, and then you just dump JavaScript in to render the rest of the app. And that works if you know everything's going to be interactive, but when you're building like marketing and blog sites, usually it's like half and half or less than that. And it would be nice to avoid loading JavaScript where you don't need it. So you, the page can load really quickly. Clients can see your e-commerce homepage super fast. Uh, so in order to do that, we give you these nice little switches to start with the server rendered template. You can use the JSX syntax you're familiar with to like render out a page. And then when you need to reach for JavaScript to like do something dynamic, say an image carousel you want to put on the homepage, for that you can write that image carousel with whatever framework you want. Say we're wanting to use React, we want to migrate into Astro. You can take that React component you wrote and you can import it onto the page and decide whether to load client.js with that. So we use directives in order to do this where you can say, for this image carousel, I want to load that JavaScript when it scrolls into view. So you can use like the visible directive to say, I'm not going to load any JavaScript when you go to the homepage so that loads really fast. And then when you start scrolling down, I'm slowly going to load all the JavaScript you need so that when you click that carousel, it's working. So you can, you sort of have that granularity to really choose exactly what needs to load and when. So you get really great performance while still using the stuff you already know. You're still using the same carousel that you wrote in that Create React app. Is there a directive? I mean, the on-scroll one is an easy-to-understand one. Is there a directive and or rather a strategy that you, Ben, have employed 
loading JavaScript onto a page that you found particularly exciting that you'd want to share? A directive, a strategy? Yeah, like once you use them, you're mostly using like the visible one and just the load or idle directives. Uh, those are kind of two flavors of the same thing where you can decide, I want to load JavaScript straight away for these components because I know they're like above the fold. You need them immediately. So I'm going to make sure that's ready as soon as you go to this page. And idle is a way to delay that just a little bit. Like if you have some ad trackers and other things that need to load first, let those load ahead of time and then let my component load in a more delayed fashion. So if you have more performant things, maybe you have like a green sock animation and a crazy thing going on with the heading. Maybe you want to use idle in order to let that green sock animation run, then load your component stuff. Mm. That That's probably the most interesting thing I've done. Otherwise, like we have the media directive where you can like only load JavaScript when a CSS media query is satisfied. That's usually just used for nav bars. That's the big one where it's like my mobile nav bar has a slide out and I only want to load that slide out when I'm on mobile. And then on desktop, I can just load some like, you know, regular server rendered HTML. Don't have to load any JavaScript at all. So when you use those tools, they're like perfectly boring for the things that you want to do, which is usually a sign that's just like, it's a no brainer. should have been here the whole time. I don't need crazy use cases. They're just useful. These directives, I mean, do you load JavaScript? Do you not load JavaScript? It almost kind of puts the onus of responsibility of what do you need to interact with X, Y, and Z into the implementer? Um, do you use any crutches, tools, sticky notes as you're writing down like this almost DAG you're creating of how things get loaded and hydrated onto the client? Yeah. So you mean like, do I plan it out ahead of time? Like what is going to load and when? Yeah. Or do you maybe like not ship? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I usually just in the moment decide like, yeah, this probably, I I try to default for the one that's like the most delayed. So I actually did a little poll in the community. Like, what is your default? What is the first thing you use in Astro? And it was kind of split between using visible first to like only load that component when you see the component and then slowly move it up to like more and more urgency as you realize, oh, dang, delaying that actually made my website worse. Let me do something that's less delayed. So that's really been my only approach is like use the most delayed one, user test it, bump it up if something isn't really performing how you want in production. But yeah, that's my approach. Are there any uh, new directives in Astro 2 that have come out? Yeah, we kept the sauce how it was. Uh, We didn't do anything fancy for Astro 2 when it comes to the island story. We're really trying to build out everything around it. Like now, like 1.0 is just shipping the stable version of this island's architecture idea, waiting for the community to use it and see how they apply it. And then when we saw people were really going after like marketing blogs and docs, those are like the big three. Let's try to build things for those use cases specifically, which drove us to like way better markdown and MDX type safety using content collections. That's like the headline 2.0 feature. And also pre-rendering, which lets people do a hybrid of static builds and server rendered endpoints. So you can have both of them living in the same app, which you couldn't do before in 1.0. So if if somebody's making a blog or um, yeah, just content, we're talking about content sites, Markdown is awesome because it's auto-formatted and stuff and people are familiar with it. And then there's MDX, which is, how is that different from Markdown? Is it different? I mean, it's very different. As someone who like deals with the parser, it's like, these aren't even the same thing. These are so much going on. But usually like the way we pitch it is like Markdown is the really performant way to get content on the page. It's a lightweight parse to just turn Markdown into HTML. 
And then when you realize, you know what, I actually need like to use Astro's image component, which today you would need to import as like the image, the same way you would like Next Image or Gatsby Image if you're used to those. We have an equivalent. And if you need to reach for that, you graduate to MDX and import that component. Uh, and you can also, you know, if you need something dynamic in your markdown, like you want to have, you maybe you have a blog comparing like React versus Svelte. That's something I've done where you actually want to load like a React component and a Svelte component on the same page and compare how both of them work. And then giving you maybe an interactive sandbox in order to play with all those ideas. At that point, like if you were in the Eleventy world, you'd stitch together short codes and hope they work. But in Astro, we wanted to say like actually import them as components, author them with Astro components, React, Svelte components, and import them like you would in any other file. And that's what we shipped with MDX. It has the same client directives. It has the same support for any framework. It's just an Astro file with markdown syntax when you need to reach for it. So if you need to do anything fancy, you kind of graduate to the MDX side, but it's got a bunch of extra features. An MDX file, would that look like a markdown file to me? It would. Like you can just change like the .md extension to MDX and everything works fine. You just kind of unlocked more features by adding that little X on the end. And we also support like the same front matter. So like, you know, triple dash, you put in like your layout, you can put in your title and description that you can load later. All that stuff works the same between Markdown and MDX. So you can organize them the same way too. So you mentioned components. You're saying I can use uh, Svelte, I can use React, I can use whatever. But one you mentioned was Astro, Astro components. And some implementation demos that I've seen of people tooling with Astro components look super appealing to somebody who just wants to spin up a content website. Like, I just want to push stuff out there. The Astro components looked simple, very easy to integrate with MDX. Is that something that's new with Astro 2.0? And, or I guess, what is like the added benefit with the typed markdown that we get with the Astro components for these types of uh, developers and implementers? I mean, typed markdown is like this separate thing that's more around like organizing and importing it once you've authored your content. Uh, but the Astro side of things has, of course, been around since like we shipped the MDX integration, which was 1.0. Um, and I totally agree. Like Astro components are, they're probably the default we recommend for most people because it's just a templating language. It doesn't have any opinions on like use state or client side stuff. That's where you reach for the the other ones. But by default, an Astro component is just like some server rendered HTML. It lets you use JSX expressions, but without the weirdness, we have class instead of class name. We have set HTML instead of dangerously set inner HTML underscore underscore scary stuff. Uh, so if you just want like JSX, but nicer, Astro is really what I reach for and then graduate to the other stuff when you actually need it. If I'm using an Astro component, do I get the same, even though it's simple, could I still choose to render it statically or dynamically or in whichever way I want with all my other components from what other frameworks I use? Yeah, Astro uh, doesn't use client directives because we don't have any like client-side state management. Like Astro is kind of that baseline where you load other like client-side components. We sort of offloaded that problem to the frameworks that you already know. Gotcha, because they... They are, they've been doing it. So you're like, okay, we'll focus on this niche and make sure it's really good. Yeah, we'll make sure like server templates are really good. And we have seen people use Astro just to like mount web components because we let you put in script tags in Astro because it's just a server template. So people put a little script tag 
and they can mount their web component and will even like bundle and hoist your scripts up to make sure that they load more efficiently. Uh, so that's definitely a use case if you're a web component nerd. I'm personally not, but I see it used a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's an up-and-coming conversation. So there's going to be people who are listening to this who are, that's going to pique their interest. So yeah, I mean, so yeah, Astro Components, you don't have, there's not too much to think about it because they are just really like a templated component. There's a lot of availability you can do with that. If you're looking at like something more of a heavy state managed component like React or the Svelts of the world, you still have power to have hybrid rendering now, right? So you can choose to statically render out the component. You can choose to do dynamically at runtime. What do you think is an interesting use case that you've seen of somebody do that? I like the carousel example that you gave at the beginning because that's like the go-to JavaScript. Like, okay, I want to show images flopping around on the screen. You know, what's a maybe a React component or React functionality that somebody might have, okay, I want this static and I want this dynamic. That is something that I like expected to use more, but personally don't. I think I use it on my personal uh, Whiteboard the Web site where I have a little video player that has a little sort of colored border that appears whenever you click the play button. It's just a few lines of JavaScript to make it happen. I think I use solid JS just for fun since we support it. Um, but on the permalink page, there's no JavaScript. And then on the home page, it does load the fancy JavaScript. So that way, like the, the, uh, dedicated page for that video loads really quickly. And then on the home page, you get the fancy stuff because that's where most people are going to land anyways. So same component, two different ways. You can also use slots and other things to like dynamically add different content to that component without shipping JavaScript for the stuff you're slotting into it. I've used that. This is like a more advanced case, I guess, but like importing a markdown file and then making a thin little JavaScript wrapper in order to like, you know, add that colored border when you hit play. But all the content inside of that colored border is just server rendered stuff. There's no JavaScript involved. It's zero kilobytes. So you can get really fancy with what we call like donut islands where you like server render everything and just load a little JavaScript for this stuff on the edges. Uh, that's the most fun that I've had with it, but at the end of the day, it's usually like choosing different flavors of client directives depending on the context. That's the big thing that I see. Like this component use, uses visible for this page and uses on load for this page because it happens to be like at the top or something like that. It's a totally valid use case though because you might want to not, it's really good for dry. Don't repeat yourself. You could write the same component yeah. and have different levels of detail depending on what area of the website you're in. That's something that when I was like, wow, you could you could render it high, like static or dynamic, like depending where the client, you could even maybe do it based on their network connection speed. Like, oh, this client is has a giganet, gigabit connection. Sure, let's load, it, load everything right away. Um, thought it was a really interesting uh, use case. And one thing we love about Next is errors. I mean, wh when something errors in the front end, you get that like nice error box thing. And when I was scrolling through the Astro 2.0 updates, they had a screenshot of the new error box. And I was like, okay, this one wins now. <laughs> it looks really good. Did you do any work on that new feature that came out yourself? Yeah, it's funny. When we talk about 2.0, it always ends just talking about the error overlay. Like it wasn't meant to be the headliner, but it is. It just is. It's the star show. It's a visual thing, you know, and as humans, I feel like we're like, ooh, priority. The, exactly, yeah. That was actually co-built by Erica, who runs the VS Code extension for Astro. So if you see all the cool autocomplete we have, she's the one making it happen. Uh, and Mark, who is a new designer on our team that's been making all the Houston emotes that you see in our chat. Uh, 
and sort of teamed up and said, let's actually get a designer to make the best error overlay we can. And then pair it with the programmer who can say, what's the best information to put on this error overlay? So we had like a core discussion, like asynchronously over a few weeks, like what details should go in here? And that led to like the hint, which is separate from the actual error message itself, where we like describe what went wrong, tell you how to fix it, and then give you a little hint linking to documentation so that you can read up more about what actually happened. And I ended up using that for the content collections feature because that's all about like type checking your front matter before you ship. So when you do that, you want to check like, oh, the title was missing on this blog post. Let's throw up a really nice looking error, tell them that the title was required and they need to add it in. And then add a little hint telling them more about content collections. Like, oh, maybe you're surprised to see that the title was missing and you misconfigured something. Here's a documentation about setting that up so that you can sort of debug this problem on your own. Because at the end of the day, like some people want more detail, some people want less. So why not just give both? Um, so it landed on a really nice error overlay and new error codes. We have documentation for ourselves about how to write good error messages in the future. And it's just completely cleaned up from 1.0, which was just like wild westing, typing up error messages wherever we wanted to. All the wording was inconsistent. They were all in different places. And now it's all in like one big error file. That's really encouraging to hear as somebody who like wants to learn Astro because I'm thinking of learning Rust. Like the thing that got me into it was the fact that the compiler was helpful. It gives and it, and it was like a unified tone. I don't even care if the error message is accurate or not. It's like I'm talking to the same person behind the screen. Exactly. They they don't go through mood swings. <laughs> they you know they're they're, <laughs> they're okay. Um, it makes it easier to work with the compiler. So that's great for people coming into the framework right now, um, trying to learn. Yeah. So you provide links to the documentation too, which is which is neat. Half the battle, they say, as a programmer is Googling stuff. Like when you learn, you can put double quotes around a word in Google and it like forces it into Google. Like I think you become a mid-level programmer. Yeah. Yeah. When because you're coming from the Slinkity project and spending so much time in there, you've spent a lot of time with Vite and tooling with Vite. And Vite 4.0 is the new kid on the block now. What benefit did Vite 4.0 really come and haul heavy right out the gate? It was a beautifully boring release, I hate to say. They actually bumped up an internal dependency of theirs called Rollup, which people might have seen before stitching together bundlers over the years. It was a recommendation for Svelte, and it's a bundler that I used a lot. That finally got bumped to 3.0, and it was on 2.0 for years. And so Vite ceremoniously also became Vite 4. Um, but there's other magical things that they're doing that I'm excited for us to experiment with. I think their headline feature was... Uh, support for React SWC. So like using Rust to compile React way faster than Babel. And that's not something that Astro supports yet because we wanted to support like multi-JSX, like using React and Solid in the same project, which is a really big proposition. We're the only framework to do it as far as I know. Um, so in order to go into the Rustiverse, we're going to need to sort of like take a step back and look at it. But it's really cool that Vite is sort of pushing that forward because I know Next.js is also like making Turbo Pack and all these fancy bundlers. So it's good to know like the engine that we use is definitely going to like keep up and also have a lot of community contribution from Svelte, Solid, and ourselves to like push it further still. Uh, so V4 kind of boring. Hopefully it didn't break anything on your end. It should mean less Vite config and overrides if you run in if you ran into server bugs in the past. Uh, so yeah, uh, try it out, and I hope you don't notice. 
That yeah, hope you don't notice. That's a good thing. And the other thing is the new dev server, which is kind of like another back endy thing. Yeah. Hopefully you just kind of run it and it continues to work. Just a quick note on the dev server. I, I'm surprised about how many places I've worked or just gigs at for a little bit, and you see production groups running dev servers. It's quite shocking. Please don't do that. Like running dev servers in production? Yeah. I've I've seen that use case for like deploy previews if you use a CMS and you want to like edit stuff in the CMS and have it live update on the other end. There's a lot of interesting ideas coming out of that. And we have a lot of like, you know, CMS users that want it, wanted to integrate with Astro better. Uh, so I think some of that conversation is going to come in, but I agree. Don't run a server in production. That's probably, we got server endpoints. We got SSR. That's what it's for. <laughs> So Ben, on your personal website, Whiteboard the Web, you're using Astro right now. What are the different frameworks that you're sort of utilizing to present that website to people? You mentioned Solid already. Yeah, it's a pretty simple stack because, um, well, I set it up with content collections, of course, where I just manage all of the videos posted as just markdown files, where it has the link to the Twitter and the YouTube in the front matter, and then a description of that video below it to just like give a little more info. If you happen to find this through Google, let me tell you what the video is. Uh, and then I used collections to like, you know, validate that the Twitter and YouTube URLs are valid URLs. Um, that's just like a regex that's built in to our validator now. We use Zod in order to validate all of this stuff, if you know what that library is. We actually had a, we have a Zod episode just recently. If Nice. Super powerful. Everybody should check it out. Yeah, and that's what Astro uses now to uh, validate front matter. So if you want to like, if you have a big blog, docs, et cetera, just folders of Markdown, and you want to make sure all of them have consistent front matter end to end, uh, you can write a Zod schema to make sure that the title, description, image URL, et cetera, all look good. And you can do fancy stuff like parsing date strings to date objects so you can internationalize them. Zod comes with a lot of stuff. It's way more than TypeScript which is why I'm really excited we ended up using it. Zod is, I would almost argue, a whole language hiding in a library. It kind of is. Not in an intimidating way. It felt pretty natural to just like say dot string. Okay, I check that it's a string now. Uh, and then dot URL. Ooh, it's a string that is a URL. There we go. Uh, so you do learn it, and it is writing JavaScript instead of writing TypeScript types. But yeah, it felt natural but stupidly powerful there's so many functions the readme is big you can go deep if you want and the crazy thing is you don't i didn't even read the readme to start using it because it's so well designed it's really powerful to use so when you want to turning back to your blog uh, or your whiteboard the website ben when you want to make a new piece of content what does your workflow look like yeah it's really it's really short uh because i'm whipping out onto Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, and then the personal site with the links. And uh, I have not automated anything. It's all manual. All I do is just make a new markdown file, add the Twitter and the YouTube in the front matter, put up a little description, and that's it. I just hit publish, and it deploys in like under a minute because I'm using server instead of a static build. Uh, I set it up with Vercel serverless just for fun because I wanted to learn like what can it do and that let me set up some magic things like uh, permalinks or redirects where you can go to like, uh, well, the domain is wtw.dev. Visit today. But you can do like wtw.dev slash 57 slash Twitter. And that will take you straight to the tweet instead of going through any of the other flow. And it's because it's one big endpoint. 
I could just check. Oh, you went to slash Twitter. Let me go grab the Twitter URL out of the front matter over here, and I'll redirect you straight over. Just using astro.redirect, you can just set up a redirect in one line. You don't have to worry about anything. And uh, you can also set up cache headers to cache it as soon as that permalink hits. So I set up really aggressive caches across the whole thing that like invalidate when I rebuild. But once I have a visitor, then it's just cache for everyone else. But it means that the build finishes in like zero seconds and then it sort of like incrementally builds everything out with caches once it's ready to go using a CDN caches. I have a video on that. Uh, I at least understand how Vercel does it. That's like my extent of the knowledge, but it's really good on there. Yeah, Vercel is really good docs too on how they do it. They do. Yeah. They did something right, that company. They're like, you know what? We're going to like document the crap out of everything and like nobody can get it wrong. And so everybody's like, oh yeah, okay. <laughs> I'll go use your stuff. Their cash docs are so good. Uh, I was actually telling like the Netlify team about like, check this out. They're like explanations, not just of how to do cash headers in Vercel, but like what the best cash header is for what you're doing. Like it's better than the MDN docs, which I didn't fully understand. It actually directed me to like, oh, use smaxage to cash on the CDN. So then you don't have to like bust caches or anything like that. It was so easy. So easy. So when how do you manage your markdown files in your head, Ben? So if I like made a Next.js website and want to make a new page or a new piece of content, there's a few ways you could do it naively. Reach out to Firebase and get a whole honking JSON doc. <laughs> you could get a static asset, like, but you know, 2.0, you have this whole collections thing. So how are you utilizing that and helping organize the content as you iteratively put it out on your whiteboard, the website? Yeah, it is. Uh, it's a feature designed for managing your content with Markdown and MDX via Git. So you know, local files in your project. You're not like making an account on Contentful and making an API call. You're just like committing all of your Markdown MDX here and uh, other data types in the future too. But uh, managing it all that way, and then it's all based on folder structure. So I mentioned collections. Collections are just like a directory of things with the same front matter shape. So I just have a Whiteboard the Web episode collection. And that collection, I can configure with Zod to have all the same schema all the way down. And then I can fetch that collection just by saying get collection and then Whiteboard episodes. And just by using that string, it actually has a little autocomplete because it knows the collections in your project. It does type generation to give you suggestions as you're typing. Uh, and then it's just pulling in that folder and letting you use it again with even more type checking and autocomplete all the way down. Uh, so it's just like, yeah, type gen end to end and managing things with folders as you probably already are. So I can almost in my brain say, this is going to be like pages on Next.js. It's just going to be like MDX files. It's going to go in there. It's going to find them. It's going to be type checked. There's going to be a uh, particular form to the header and I'll scope them based on their form. That's beautiful. And I love that it uses Git because like as programmers, if we're if I'm writing a personal blog, I spend all day in Git. I'd rather just use Git. It's just easier. Like you don't have to think about it. It's free. It's It's easy and free. If you're making it open source, you can just tell people, yeah, go edit the file. I can literally put a permalink at the bottom of my blog post saying, go edit this blog post if you see a typo. Like, I feel like Git and just local markdown is the default for a lot of devs getting things out. Even like devs that work with copywriters and designers, they still use markdown MDX. So if that's your flow, it feels like we're building the perfect starting point for that sort of thing. 
Is there anybody building like Docosaurus with Astro right now? It's definitely come up because we do have a doc starter that you can try on astro.new, but it's uh, pretty limited. You know, it doesn't help with internationalization much. It shows you how you might structure your pages folder for that. We did update it with content collections, though, to show how, oh, yeah, you can put your docs in here. Make sure all your documentation pages have a title, description, categories, etc. cetera. Um, but a full built Docusaurus, like they're shipping out features left and right. The Docusaurus I saw a year ago, not the same one. I got to go spin up a starter project with Docusaurus now. But of course, Astro is like that static and performant default that people want to try out. So it feels natural to have like a more powerful docs theme, maybe like internationalization opinions baked into the template so you know how to do that like straight away. And content collections like are kind of half that battle of at least we help you organize everything and the end styling and rendering of your documentation is up to you. But it's come up a lot. It's something that we want to improve with our templates. And I think building towards that makes a lot of sense. Right on. Ben, for your project, Whiteboard the Web, just I want to close out on this. Are you sort of going for something that's similar to what Jeff Delaney's doing with Fireship and education and putting out like very niche content? Because you do like more advanced niche content about like too niche too niche oh you're shaking your head too niche are you trying to broaden out a little bit right now yeah i'm still feeling out the kind of content that people like because i've noticed that what does well on twitter may not do well on youtube and vice versa like the the only things i've learned so far on youtube are like if you say industry trend people click and if you say react or next.js people definitely click even if video is not about next it's like should i switch to this from next Still works, still gets likes. So there you go. But yeah, I know. I mean, of course, I've followed Fireship for a long time. He's good at like, I, I think we both try to explain things in the shortest amount of time possible. I'm more aggressive about that. It's like 60 seconds for every video, which is the max length of a YouTube short. So that's like my lowest common denominator. So everyone is 60 seconds. And by doing that, even if the topic's kind of niche, like, you have to really understand something to explain it in 60 seconds. Like if anything, it's just a way to make sure like, you know about CSS and JS that you know about like quick versus react, all of these other things. So it's a good teaching tool for myself. And at least on Twitter, people appreciate the nicheness of like, Oh yeah, I want to learn about like quick versus solid versus react. I want that video in 60 seconds and it does really well. But from here, I want to look at like longer form content I also have a Twitch stream. I want to like somehow repurpose stuff I do over there into videos so that, you know, not double dipping. I am way too busy and want to reuse things if I can. Uh, so we're still experimenting with longer form stuff. But yeah, I, I definitely look to Fireship for the memes and the shortness. And I'm because some of the titles, if you just pull them straight off, like why is web dev getting harder in 2023? That's like interesting. Anybody who's doing web dev, like that's interesting. Yeah, I use Twitter as like a pulse check sometimes. Like uh, I follow Theo and the Primogen and other people that have definitely like taken off in the past year. And whenever they're involved in hot drama, take a little note. Like I could do a little response to that, but I always add the nuance, even though I have like no time. I still want to like make sure all the nuance is covered. Want to be fair. I don't have super spicy takes uh, because there's both sides to like all of the problems that programmers have especially like, is web development getting harder? It's like, well, yes, maybe it's not a bad thing. It's because of the industry. Uh, and breaking it down in a way that doesn't feel like you're repeating adages that you've heard forever. 
I guess it's been going pretty well. But yeah, using Twitter as a pulse check is helpful. Well, Ben, thank you for your time coming on again and talking about the Astro 2.0 updates. I'm recapping really quick the collections, the MDX typed markdowns. Like those people are raving about that. Is there something that you feel like people didn't pay attention to in the 2.0 update that you want to throw out there as we're closing out? Uh, everyone needs to use Astro SSR. This is like, now that we have hybrid rendering, which is the second part of 2.0, like it's so easy to build uh, a hybrid of static pages and dynamic pages now. And I built Whiteboard the Web entirely on serverless functions with caches because it just fit what I was building better. It was actually easier than doing things with static builds. So experiment with that. SSR is super easy. You can add adapters for Netlify, uh, Vercel, Ninjas, Node, and Deno buckets if you want to host it yourself. So look at hybrid rendering. It's very, very cool. I don't want that to get overlooked. But otherwise, yeah, content collections. Do it. Try it. Today. And Whiteboard the Web, of course, that's your treasure trove of information, knowledge, opinions, blogs, and content, Ben. You mentioned there's YouTube, there's Twitter Shorts, there's tw uh, Twitter. Um, what is your Twitter handle if people wanted to follow you? Yeah, uh, it's B Holmes Dev, like Sherlock Holmes, so B-H-O-L-M-E-S, Dev. Uh, I always have to spell it out. Uh, but I'm that literally everywhere, Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, all of the things. Uh, and WTW.dev is the website where I post all my stuff and link out to all those channels. So just go to that website and my stuff is there. Ben, thank you for coming on. Thank you for your time. It was a pleasure. Yeah, thanks. It was awesome.